This is Coda Radio, episode 384 for October 19th, 2020. friends and welcome into Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by the all-new Cloud Guru, the leader in learning for cloud Linux and other modern tech skills. Hundreds of courses, thousands of hands-on labs. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris and joining us like the soldier here he is, is our podcast buddy. It is Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. That was my Oprah, and I just don't, will never do that again. Oh, so do I get a car? Uh, you get a Matchbox car. You know, she's always going to be known for that, regardless of what else she does. Did it like once. Yeah. Oprah's known for giving away cars, and you're known for spilling stuff on laptops. <laughs> well, I see we're, we're starting classy here today. <laughs> I just can't help but leave it. You know, sometimes I check your Twitter feed before the show. <laughs> yeah, so... So here's the thing. I have a deep-seated hatred of MacBooks, apparently. Whether it be gin, beer, or in this case, herbal tea, I cannot somehow keep them dry. What you got to figure is perhaps you suspend the laptop in air and use a Bluetooth keyboard. Then you're only out of Bluetooth keyboard. Ah, See, I got a strategy for you. Well, a, a, a uh, not insignificant number of people on Twitter recommended a ThinkPad that actually has holes in it for just this purpose. Yes, they, some ThinkPads have drain holes that actually drain. Now, if it's an entire glass of liquid, you're still kind of uh, pushing the limits of the gutter system in the ThinkPad. I also saw some people tweeted at you like a... Um, a uh, like a a water bottle that has a suction bottom that sticks to your to your table. <laughs> yes, I believe Emma from System Seventy Six recommended a sippy cup. I mean, that could be another solution. Maybe you already have some around the house too. So <laughs> I do. Yes. <laughs> However, other than the trackpad, it is fine. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's good. Did you what, did you like? I want to picture the moment. Did you spring into some kind of action? Do you have a protocol at this point you follow, like a standard operating procedure for this situation? <laughs> I actually do. We have a dedicated giant <laughs> bag of rice for this. There you go. The bag of rice, man. It does wonders. Well, I'm glad you're able to save it. And, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's like being home again. Like I keep saying it's like we're in 2017 all over again. And I thought, you know, this would be the last episode where we'd talk about Sousa. I don't think we got very much email about it. But... The uh, the lizards brought a gift for Mr. Dominic, an actual gift. So Kevin, who started this all, thank you, Kevin, mm-hmm. sent me two uh, rather large Sousa pillows, lizard pillows. Oh, yeah. And roughly 30 Linux, I think it's Linux user and developer, but the issue where they featured Sousa. Of course. Of the, the same issue. So 30 copies. Now, <laughs> oh the lady where I still have a small office space who got the mail was deeply confused. I mean, I she, bet. <laughs> she's like, did you order like all of the same magazine? And I said, what's on that magazine? Some lizard. I'm like, oh, I still have some boxes of uh, of Sousa around here in the studio. Well, so for Halloween this year, every kid is getting a Sousa DVD. I, uh, I thought you were kidding. But then then I saw you tweeting something ridiculous like you don't know Linux until you yes. And then I thought, wait a minute now, what is going on? What is happening to to my co-host? I think he's being sucked into the dark side. You know this already, but I am working on an initiative that should be done by Christmas. If you believe people that give estimates that I don't believe. But let's say the new year. And it does involve Sousa. And it involves something that requires permitting. Is this karma coming back here? So SUSE is a requirement of an application, I take it? Yes, uh, but we're, I'm going a bit beyond that. Oh, oh, oh. You mean you're enjoying it? Let's just say in a hypothetical world, you are a biologist, a professor uh, at NYU. Your student's name is Peter Parker. You lost your arm in an awful accident. And you're thinking, what animal can regenerate limbs? Right, of course. Of course. And if you notice, if eagle-eyed Twitter users will notice that your Coda Radio announcement, I responded with the most beloved Spider-Man, I would say hero, not villain, 
the lizard. <laughs> I mean, he's just misunderstood, right? I think also a SUSE user. It's the random German in his notes that sort of throws people off. But really, I mean, so I am not kidding at all. I am doing some a lot of SUSE stuff. And it's going to, and Kevin in particular is going to be excited. So is Johan. That is legitimately the other guy's name. Because of course it is. And I'm assuming a number of Hans and maybe a few Gretels. But yeah, so uh, get ready for the SUSE action show. <laughs> <laughs> and how is the experience? Uh, I know it's early days and all, but um, or have you uh, lost any limbs or is it actually gone okay? It has gone surprisingly smooth. Now, that is scaring me, right? Like, this is something I greenlit like last week, literally on Thursday. And, you know, I had some preliminary conversations over like the last month, and everything that was supposed to be an impediment didn't impede. Now, I don't know if it's like, because COVID, people are being more reasonable, or if it's something bad's going to happen and delay this whole thing, you know what I mean. But it hasn't happened yet, so I don't know. I'm, you know, you know how I am, Chris. I'm a little skeptical when things look too easy. But yeah, like why is it going so good? <laughs> yeah, like wait, 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 wait a minute. I can't get like a pizza delivered correctly, <laughs> and I'm in Florida, so there is no pizza. So like, why why is this working? Yep. <laughs> or or is the answer? the superior technology that I'm using now. Of course. Right. Hashtag lizard people. Wow. Um, so I thought we were all done with it. Just took a hard turn. And now you're turning into a SUSE user and I'm, I'm struggling to, to, to what to, to do with that. <sighs> you know, it's just, um, well, here's what you do. Hmm. Give me six months. Then you have me on Linux unplugged. And we just listen to the groaning of your regular host there. I like uh, Dem Jest, who's in the IRC. He says, uh, Mike has committed suicide. Wow. That's good. Good stuff. Uh, I am actually legally required to only drink German beer now, though. So there's that. But. <laughs> well, you could find worse, I suppose. Well, we did get a bunch of feedback from the Dark Matter developers that we uh, pleaded with. Uh, so I picked a couple of them because a lot of them are long and detailed, like somebody who would be uh, a good employee would. Uh, so Anon writes in. He says, greetings from the dark matter side. I work in the darkest of dark matter environments. It's large, very, very large U.S. company. And the code is mostly in Java and TypeScript. <laughs> oh, interesting. Hmm. And is part of an entire ecosystem of software that exists within our part of the organization. None of that software ecosystem is exposed to the outside world. And most things are internal to just this division of the company. This does not mean that it is boring, though. The software has many users that need to get their job done, and it contributes to a good experience to our end users. And I think in the end, that's what counts. If you have any other questions about life in the dark world, though, I'd be happy to answer them. Of course, I do have health benefits because I'm not living in the crazy U.S., so everyone has access to health care they need here in Sweden. God damn Germans. Sorry. I know he's a Sweden working for a large U.S. company. How about that? <laughs> We're getting Sweden healthcare. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I got to figure that out, man. I got to move to Canada or something. I got to get it. You know what? Munich is looking better every day. Yeah. Also, he uh, he, he wrote in about Sousa. <laughs> okay. So there was some Sousa follow up. Yes. <laughs> I forgot. He says um, the value of open Sousa is not that it's the most polished distro out there. I'll give that a ding. Uh, neither does it. uh boast a especially well uh, thought out and opinionated user experience. These things together mean that I generally recommend OpenSUSE to people that I just want to use their computer like an appliance. I set up the family and I support it with Mint, and lately I've started moving some of them to Manjaro. I do love OpenSUSE though because I used it quite heavily and was influenced by its governing model, and I think it's one of the better things it has. Uh, yeah, you know, the distro governance is like a whole other thing about this. Talk about a lizard's nest. Oof. Yeah, he says the lizards just never give up. <laughs> You'll never hear the end of the feedback to the open Sousa bashing. Oh, my God. <laughs> what have I done to myself? <laughs> you know, I was between Darwin, BSD and Sousa. What could I say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I could have been worse. I could have gone after the Mac. God only knows. what. I probably would have had somebody show up at my house. Oh, well, hang on, hang on. So he's dark matter. And didn't the TypeScript thing seem weird to you? Oh, yeah. Thanks for remembering that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awfully modern. I wonder if you could chime in on that. He said if we had any follow-up questions, like, did you get to choose that? That's the part I think we're really curious about is how much of the tool chain do you get to pick versus, like, you're told use this IDE or use this language? 
So I, I do wonder if like dark script was forced on them because of like the type checking and maybe they have some sort of way to, I don't know. They feel the enterprise feels it's safer. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm grasping at straws for that one, but well, um, yeah, boy, I, I, I you're right. I, I mean, TypeScript, I think is it's a very um, that's not conservative choice, but it, it's a safe choice. It is a safe choice. Runs great on SUSE. So another anon writes in. Nobody wanted their name used. Uh, hey, Chris and Mike, I'm definitely on the dark matter side of the spectrum, but I've got some unique perspective. So I figure I'd give you an insight on my job. I won't mention the company I work for, but it is a large corporation you have definitely heard of and maybe even own products from, but they no longer make consumer products. All right. He says, uh, my department is relatively small in you know comparison to the rest of the company on the order of a few hundred employees. And we do a small scale. Oh, TD. <laughs> Say, so, you know how many employees I have? One. <laughs> so uh, his small department, which is a couple hundred, or I'm sorry, a few hundred employees, and they do small scale government contracting, building hardware and software for them. For the most part, the job is very corporate. I get decent insurance, average pay, and great retirement benefits in my very own cubicle, mm. all in exchange for a sane number of hours. You may think doing development work, I spend 40 hours a week writing Java 8, but I actually get to play with a spectrum of tools, including C and C++, Python, TensorFlow, Docker, and JavaScript. Okay. <laughs> and it's not bad. Uh, he goes on to say, as for the actual tools, read computers, it's complicated because we have many different networks and computers for different security levels. In general, the business machines run Windows and development machines run Ubuntu. Our Windows machines were just upgraded from Windows 7 to Windows 10 in January, and our Ubuntu machines run the LTSs from 14.04 to the latest. Uh, it sounds like government contracted to me. Mm-hmm. We're, we are fully integrated with G, G Suite. Oh, interesting. So they use Gmail and Drive, and they use Meet and all of that stuff. Machines without Internet access uh, are just were just upgraded from Office 2007 to 2016. That's interesting. Coronavirus changes, he says, were also a bit of a mixed bag. Corporate didn't lay anyone off, which is awesome. But benefits were temporarily reduced, which that's weird during a pandemic, huh? To reduce the benefits? It's like extra mean, right? <laughs> it's, come on. I guess it's better than getting laid off, though. He goes on to say, most of the company is still working from home to this day. But due to the nature of our work, about 90% of my department is back in the office. Personally, I'm kind of somewhere in between. Most of my work can be done from home. But honestly, I find it so much easier to focus in my gray walled cube than at home. Hope this gives you some valuable insights. Huh. It's um that transition for, for uh, to, uh, to working at home was difficult for him. It sounds like had to go back to the office. Yeah, there's probably a bunch of security concerns with, like equipment or systems that can never touch a network. And... I was really lucky during the uh, peak of the lockdown because, you know, there was a point where Washington locked down pretty significantly. Mm. And uh, I'm the only one in the studio right now. <laughs> so and I still to this day, I mostly just go from home. To the studio because I don't I don't want to get sick. I do I do go out more now than I used to, but it's still pretty limited. I'm still being careful, and I'd never really had to worry about staying at home per se because I just get in one box and then drive to the next box. So uh, I've been pretty lucky in that regard. I didn't really have to do much remote work, as it were. Yeah, I uh, I miss an office like a lot. Yeah, you know what, four year olds, man. Yes, yes. Um, very much so. Very much. That's, you know, when I when I had kids was when I moved out of the house and and, and got the studio going because I didn't want to be I didn't want to be chasing after them to quiet down all the time because they're kids. You know, it's natural. Get off my lawn. OK, we have uh, one more uh, dark matter dev that I'm going to cover today, but they all just kind of came into the light. I, I, I well, we kind of you remember, remember what we did, right, is we uh, gave him a we hard bag. Yeah, we gave him a hard time last week. Yeah. And I actually would like it. I, I'm not necessarily done with the topic. So if you have thoughts on this, if you're listening to this and want to share your insights, please do go to coder.show slash contact. We'll keep it anonymous. Don't have to say your name or the company. Speaking of that, totally anon wrote in. And he's a dark matter developer at a company that does IT as a service. I'm writing him because you asked about your nine to five guys. I work at an IT service company that does everything from the help desk to outsourcing all the back end IT and development for our customers. That said... I am on the sysadmin side with some DevOps. I get handed what I get to use depending on the customer I support. So I have a few laptops on my desk for each customer, along with my company laptop that I have remote desktop applications 
VMware Horizon and Citrix to remote into the customers who don't give me a laptop. That said, I, I don't really get to choose what tools I use because everything's on the customer and in their environment. However, with some of our customers, we have been pushing new tech like Kubernetes, but most of them only really accept OpenShift because of Red Hat's backing. And my job is currently to manage those hosted clusters. As for the final parts, well, we do work from home for full time now unless we need to go into an office till the end of the year. That said, before COVID, we got to pick two days a week that we worked from home. And because so many of the clients that we support, their entire backend networks, which is not really a lot of them, we get to use flex time. And that means when I have to go there on off hours, I can apply that. So it's nice to have some insurance, especially when the pandemic is going on during trying times. And it sounds like, this is me now, sounds like Totally Anon's company was pretty well set up for work from home because they were letting you pick two days a week. Yeah, I wonder what the transition would, probably nothing, right? Like Must have been much simpler, right? It had to have been. Right. He goes on to say that, that uh, they're kind of just slowly going back to work at the office. And then our last bit of feedback, Mr. Dominic, was from Oded, and he wanted to follow up on a kind of a point of clarification on our Google versus Oracle coverage last week. So he takes issue with the claim that we said where it appeared that Google had copied some stuff line for line. What it was actually what they had copied was something that uh, was put in there by a different group and uh, was just basic licensing stuff. The version that was released publicly had all the comments and stuff removed. So it wasn't so much that. It was more of like language wording that they had copied word for word, which Google would normally do, which kind of actually makes that Oracle argument, well, a little flaccid. It's one of their better claims, and it's kind of that is one that isn't particularly going to hold up, he doesn't think. Uh, he wrote in with all the details, but essentially what happened was Apache Harmony added some stuff to the to the top of the file. Google copied that stuff, and that's what Oracle's pointing to. So this is super weird. No, it's and it's so nuanced too. Really, first that we got to see him, I'm like, this guy's crazy. Let me just you know find the New York Times article and like, bam, you're wrong. He is right in that it is something from Apache. What Oracle is claiming is that by apparently quote unquote decompiling it and copying the comments on the top of the file, that the comments would be copywritten because they compiled it. I mean, it's 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 like wacky. Yeah, like so it's weird. I mean, I have. You know what? It's been a decade. I know. Can't mom and dad stop fighting now, right? Like, <sighs> and now, now it has to, and now it has to go all the way to the Supreme Court. It's just so ridiculous. Dang it! Uh, thank you, though, everyone, for the feedback. Lots of good feedback. We'd like to get yours. It's a big part of our show and helps us get going every episode. So, coder.show slash contact to send yours in. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards a new account. Linode is our cloud hosting provider of choice. I started using Linode two years ago for JB, and I love it. I first really started for myself personally, and then as JB was going to go independent, I just began spinning up new infrastructure on Linode. Linode actually started in 2003 as one of the very first companies in cloud computing, three years before AWS because they're Linux users, and they saw the features and capabilities that were coming to the Linux kernel and realized they could leverage that and create what we call today the cloud. And Linode has really, really innovated over the years. Their cloud dashboard nails it. It makes it so simple for me to spin up a machine. I, I think the moment, though, I was most impressed with the cloud dashboard was when I had an existing system and I added a new disk. Not only was that just crazy simple, I, I, if I didn't even know what these like device names were or anything like that, they had me covered. And when you do know, it's even better because there's one click away and they give you all the advanced options that you would want as an advanced user. And then after you create the disk, it comes up with a screen that gives you all the commands you might want to use in the host operating system to actually attach that disk now. Like, how do you do that, actually? Well, here are the commands. And they're independently owned and... I like that a lot. Well, you know, some companies, they'll get VC backing and they'll go real strong and real hard for a while. But when it's your infrastructure, when it's your systems, you want to know what happens after that funding train runs out. Since Linode's been around since 2003 and independently owned and operated, that's not a concern with them. They're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. So go to linode.com slash coder and see what I've been talking about. Get a $100 credit for 60 days on a new account and support this show. 
They have 11 data centers worldwide, enterprise-grade hardware, and next-generation screaming fast network connections. It's really something. You can simplify your cloud and save at the same time while supporting Coda Radio. It's a great way to deploy your own website, maybe a portfolio, and learn, too. Linode.com slash Coder. And a big thank you to Linode for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thank you to everybody who supports this show by taking advantage of our sponsor's offer. Linode.com slash Coder. Quick recommendation on using your $100 at Linode. Chris, you know what you can do with that? What's that? You can spin up a bunch of SUSE Leap servers. <laughs> they do have it on there. That's true. They have open SUSE. That's right. That's right. Linode.com slash Coder. All right, Mr. Dominic, you ready to move into the hoopla? Because, um, of course, I have been pining for this. I, you know, when, this is what happened, man, is they, they had the big event the day after our show. And it ends up there's a couple of things in there that are worth talking about. And then we got to wait a week. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just get this out of our systems right now. Last week, Apple announced the iPhone 12, which is a whole bunch of them, a whole zany lineup. Who cares about that? HomePod mini, go. <laughs> HomePod mini. Yeah, um, that's really all that matters. I am legitimately excited about this. I will be buying at least a few of these. Of course you will. (laughs) Come on. No, I mean, I think this is a sleeper product that people don't appreciate. And I think the reason is, is A, the price. And this is significantly cheaper. It's $99 versus like, what, $300 for the other HomePod, which is a total barrier. Wait, is that still 300 bucks? Crazy Apple just doesn't drop their prices, dude. They never drop their prices. That's a lot of money. Every now and then they put them on sale through third-party sellers like Best Buy, and that's how I bought mine. Hold on. You spent $1,200 on HomePods? No, I got $100 off on a couple of my HomePods. So. Okay. Yeah. But these are $99, and um, I think that what people fail to understand about the HomePod is that it can execute any shortcut you create on your iPhone or your iPad. That is tremendously powerful because they integrate with all of the apps, all, you know, all of the automations that Apple's built into iOS can be executed from the HomePod. And that's massive. And it has HomeKit. So in theory, and and I find this hard to believe, but you're kind of the expert on this one. If I had a shortcut that integrated with some HomeKit devices, right? Could I just like tell the HomePod to, you know, do that? No, right? All day long. Seriously. All day long. So if you have those like fancy Philips lights or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, HomeKit ties in really great with the open source Home Assistant software that I use. So Siri has become my voice assistant for my own locally self-hosted Home Assistant instance through HomeKit. And I can automate things using HomeKit. And it's fast because it's all on the LAN. And the other thing about the HomePod specifically is it, I, I believe, has the best microphones of the bunch. And a lot of times these smart assistants kind of fall down when you have a fan going and it creates white noise. Or maybe your TV's too loud. Mm. Out of all of the home assistants that I have tested, HomePod breaks through the noise the most often. And she understands you well. Like, it's cliche to give Siri a hard time. But when you're using her in a HomeKit capacity, it's just... Hey, phone or, or hey, Shlomo, turn on lamp, turn on heater. And it just it does it immediately. Plus, it, it sounds the best. So if you're in the iOS ecosystem, which is the big caveat, and I think why it doesn't get as much love as it should, it just is brilliant. It shows up in your AirPlay list of devices. You can manage it as an AirPlay device that brings it into the realm of home theater, because if you have an Apple TV, the Apple TV and the home pods are aware of their general locations And they will treat the HomePods, if like they're behind you, as rear speakers. And so the way it automatically works at my place is the sound bar becomes our vocals, our center channel, and then the HomePods become the surround sound system automatically without me ever telling it to. I just, in the AirPlay menu, checked the HomePods and their pairs, right? And they automatically figure out which side's left and which side's right. Well, you tell them that. But once you tell them that, they automatically figure out who's supposed to do what load. And so you get terrific sound. You get a surround sound environment that is completely wireless, which is fantastic for me because I can't run wires in my current condition, certain situation. And on top of that, you get all of the power of any shortcut you can fancy and any device that supports HomeKit. And oh, if you're if you're crazy enough to go all the way into open source Home Assistant, it's also the best voice assistant with that as well. And it's a good speaker just to listen to podcasts or music on. 
and these minis come in now at $99. Well, think about how you could use that in a surround sound environment, how easily it would be to maybe put one near your couch and fill out a little bit of the sound there, or maybe, you know, put one on the counter where I'm at and I hear a little bit of sound coming from that. So I'm really excited about how not only could I get more voice automation in places where I couldn't afford to put a home assistant before, but also I can fill out my existing system a little bit better, which I also think is going to be great because they just work together so easily. Damn, I might have to get one. I mean, they sound great, too. And I don't know about the minis. Well, and 99 bucks, it's like, even if it doesn't work out, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I get that it's funny at, you know, $300. And of course, you have to have an iPhone or an iPad or an Apple TV to make it worth it. Uh, so I get it, right? Especially for Android users or people that are deep into the Google ecosystem. It's it's silly. But man, there's a lot of iPhone users out there. I'm not trying to shill for Apple here. I would love for this to be made by anybody. Anything, anybody that made a product like this sounds good, easy to pair, excellent home automation assistant that ties in with my self-hosted local home automation system, and it all works over the land. So when I'm off-grid in my RV, I still can use the home pods. I don't have to have Google intermediary and a proxy connection to send audio or video. It's all over the land. I mean, it's just there's a lot of advantages there that people don't consider because, you know, really, I think I think Amazon has stolen the mind space here. Uh, they've really kind of nailed it because they've executed just consistently on the Alexa product. But, you know, I, I literally try these things side by side. And I think you can you could you confidently say you can do more with an Echo. But the core things I care about, the, like the HomePod is just focused on like three things and it does those really well. It's very Apple style, I suppose. So would you recommend for like a HomePod version just to go with the fancy one or? To- I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. I, 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 I kind of think maybe not. Really? I think I would buy two of the minis then one. Oh, they can do the thing where they talk to each other and like, figure uh-huh. out the, oh, that's not- it's not quite as sophisticated yet as the big pods. Right. But there is, they can at least stereo pair up. So you still for, you get two HomePod minis and you're still not even at the price of one HomePod. <laughs> And the other thing that Apple that I noticed that Apple did is they called this the HomePod family now, which uh, I don't know. It might suggest there's some more coming. And I find it fascinating that they're cramming decent CPUs into these tiny little things like this thing has the S5 chip. Well, when you make them yourself, I mean, yeah, I, but I think it makes it I think it matters having a faster CPU in the system. I think it I think it matters. Do you have any thoughts on the on the other stuff that they announced? Like the I mean, they've got like a whole smattering of iPhones now. Buckle up. Let's talk about 5G for a moment. All right. I was a little surprised at the blatant Verizon commercial right in the beginning of the, uh, I guess, keynote. We still call them keynotes. I guess. Yeah. I sort of don't understand why they're pushing the 5G thing so hard, given that unless you live in like literally New York and San Francisco and some other metropolitan areas, you probably don't even have good LTE. Yeah. And you're not going to have good 5G. And it's not like you're not going to have it for like six months. Yeah. I mean, let's say I know uh, people on the, like the first cash is saying like a year. I would say, especially if you're like out down here in Florida, it's going to be like five years. And also, you may not always want 5G, right? Because you're going to have more power drain. That's why they had to make a point to say that John's 5G and Jim's 5G might not be the same, which I think is always amazing that the telcos get away with that. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just me, but did it strike you as weird that they were talking so much about a network that basically doesn't exist? Yeah. And and especially given in the past, they've they've never really made much fuss except for the iPhone 3G, which is going quite a ways back to see Apple make a fuss about the radio technology. I think there's a couple things at play here. I think it's it's good to signal that Apple is leading here from their position, from a strategic position. They're often not the first to market in a compelling form factor with stuff. Usually it's Samsung, right? If you're going to look at the mobile market, they're pretty aggressive. But in this case... Apple feels like they're they're really right there with the rest of the industry, maybe even a little bit on the leading edge when you look at the Qualcomm modem that they're shipping and the form factor and battery life that they're claiming you'll get. I think another factor in the focus is that they worked out a deal with the carriers to take 30 bucks off the phone. And additionally, they appeared to work out a deal with Verizon to actually hold the announcement of the launch of their nationwide 5G network. Until Apple's keynote. Imagine the business arrangement there, man. Think about that. Think about what a product launch that is for Verizon. Somehow Apple talked them into 
waiting to make the announcement until their keynote. I mean, that's quite the deal. So that had to play a factor, too. From a technology standpoint, I actually am kind of excited about it, even though it's not widely deployed yet. Number one, mobile data is a big deal for me. It's a it's a it's one of the number one expenses in my monthly expenses. Seriously, it's mobile data. I have multiple carriers, and, and I don't mean two, and I really follow this industry very, very closely. I can say with some surprise that the iPhone 12 has one of the most advanced cellular modems we've ever seen in the market. It literally supports almost every LTE band in existence today, which is extremely rare. And it means really good LTE support. Additionally, it has a 4x4 antenna, so it can make four simultaneous connections to the cell tower, which is incredible. And then, additionally, it happens to have 5G, and it currently supports every standard of 5G that exists today, so one iPhone for all carriers. You don't have to get, it's just one iPhone now. And they've got that screaming Qualcomm chip in there. So from a purely cellular data and like band support standpoint, for mobile workers, this is a killer phone. And the mobile router support, you know, the tethering support, the Wi-Fi tethering support in the in the iPhone, is pretty good. It makes a pretty damn good little mobile router. And so I will likely pick one up just for its LTE band support, and then use the 5G when I happen to be in an area that has it. And I'm not even expecting that 5G to be significantly fast. I think this is the biggest misread about 5G. And maybe the thing that kind of annoys me the most, I could get 100 megabits on LTE if I have the right modem and a good signal. I can get 100 megabits. I've got, I got a spot out in the woods where I get 90 megabits on LTE. It's it's crazy. It's like utopia. Now, 5G, probably not going to get me any better than that. But what it will get me that really matters for my industry is lower latency. And that's what Apple really focused on. They focused on gaming. They focused on medical record transfer and and video applications where latency is extremely important. And the goal with 5G is to eventually get the latency as good as it could be for a home connection. And I don't care what you say, but that's going to make a transformational difference on the Internet. Just like bringing up bandwidth to the home, brought in streaming video and all of that, improved latency will get us real-time video communications. What you and I are doing will get as good as a phone call or even better. Better, actually. And maybe if they get there and if they get... If they never get the speeds up beyond what you could get in a good LTE situation now, but get the latency down, I would happily use that. And this phone is going to get me the closest to that that anything possibly can on the market today in a form factor that I'm actually going to want to use. That all makes sense. I Actually, I spoiler alert, I, of course, ordered one because I'm me. <laughs> you did. So you must have gotten the 12 Pro or 12 then because the other ones aren't even available yet. I think the, I got the blue one. Yeah, okay, good. That's what I think I would get, too. I like that. I, I guess, like, y- you have painted a world where, like, we're all dancing with Taylor Swift and things are great. <laughs> and we're streaming it. <laughs> right. But I see a world where every time I, you know, in the before times, when I used to travel all the time, within three days of being on a trip, Verizon be like, huzzah, your unlimited plan. It is unlimited. Enjoy the 56K. Oh, yeah. So, like, if, like, I could give them virtually any amount of money and they would like give me real unlimited hell even 4g even lte like you're saying right i think that would be awesome yeah but i'm pretty sure based on decades of history here that they're not going to do that Mm -hmm. right even even for like a stupid amount of money that they're going to be like it's really fast you have low latency very little ping huzzah and as soon as you finish streaming one one episode of The Simpsons or whatever the hell you're watching or stream one episode of Linux Action Show, you are done. Yes. Yep. So I guess like do you do you see like a cultural shift on the telcos where they might like not do that? I hope. I mean they have to, right? They're like Verizon is talking about when you get their millimeter wave connection, they're talking about a gigabit connection. Uh, but the plan allows for twenty gigabytes total. Well, right. So like literally <laughs> Yeah. You're not going to make it, right? No, it's it's ridiculous on its face. And this is one of the reasons why I have multiple cellular connections in Lady Jupes. I was on a trip just recently and uh, AT&T cut me off. I, I, have, I, I had a grandfathered iPad plan that was supposed to be truly unlimited, 
but I used 500 gigs on the road and they cut me off. I had one of those. They they don't like it when you tether the iPad. They just shut it down completely. No, nothing. Just boom. You're 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 done, man. You're you're th- you're over. And so, yeah, I end up paying for multiple so I can spread it out. Uh, I have different carriers for them in different areas. And it's such a shit show. I hope I look back at this in 10 years and go, oh, man, that was sure the bad old days of mobile connectivity. All right. If I could even pay like 3x what I pay for the business's wireless, right? But it was like truly unlimited. You just can't do it. No, they will. They will not sell you that. Yeah. If you're um, um, like in the CIA or the FBI, they have a special uh, plan they'll give you. Right. But yeah, otherwise you're out. <laughs> and I know people listening and think this is crazy. When the world is not ending, go to your local Verizon store and ask for the business rep. Tell him you would or her, you would like to buy the highest enterprise plan that they can sell you, but you want truly unlimited data with no throttling. You will be asked to leave. One of the carriers is working, has a plan now for quote unquote business users. It's prohibitively expensive. It's quote unquote unlimited, but you're only allowed to do things like Zoom, email and VPN. Yes. No tethering. That's my favorite trick. Yeah. And if you do anything outside of that, they reserve the right to immediately shut down your account. Now, of course, you could VPN it up and maybe, you know, they'd never know what you're using this line for. But you're always skirting around the policies and rules. And if they ever did get insights into what you're doing, they could immediately shut your account down. And that's how you get, quote unquote, unlimited. But even that is got some, um, you know, asterisks next to it. So uh, that has to shift. Um, I don't know if, you know, one thing that could actually happen is Starlink could come along. Elon could offer something on the market that is competitive and then the carriers have to respond. Is it bad that I kind of believe in Elon more than, you know, the government regulating this or fixing it? That's how I feel. That's really, that's truly how I feel. And they've just, the carriers have made such a mess of this that it does make it hard to be enthusiastic. They want us to be excited about the 5G. And I think that's why it stood out to you so much. I think there's technical advantages by having a modem capable of it. Oh, I love the tech. Just the policy doesn't work. So funny story, because I'm not really in a position just to be dropping a lot of cash. But before the pandemic lockdowns hit, I ordered a super high grade, industrial grade cellular modem router kit for my RV that is used on trains and buses. It's professional gear that you just can't buy. You have to buy it from a special reseller and all that kind of stuff. And it includes a seven and one antenna that you mount on the roof and you wire it into this thing. And it's, it's really cool. And it has four SIM slots, uh, two modems active at the same time. And then it can use a special VPN technology to bond the carriers together into a single stable connection. And then you run a hosted component on the other end or use their service. And it, it, that's where your traffic comes out. And uh, so like I would run one on Linode. I ordered that and it's like $1,200, right? But I ordered it back in March when I was still employed. (laughs) And uh, so the pandemic lockdowns came and all the shipments from China shut down. And I got an email saying, Hey, your thing's going to be delayed. They told me if I, if I order now, uh, and they'll just include the shipping for free and all that and go ahead and charge it. And I thought, this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it. And so I said, go ahead, place the order because I really want this equipment. My kids are doing school from home and the connection is not reliable enough when they're all three <laughs> on school calls and whatnot. And so like, this is the year I'm going to invest in this for real. So go ahead and charge it. And then of course the lockdowns come and it doesn't ship and it doesn't ship and it doesn't ship. So in August, I email the guy and I'm like, so did I just get scammed here? Like, what's going on? And he tells me, no, no, it's it's all due to the lockdown. It should be shipping in September. It'll be fine. And so I'm sitting there, you know, I'm pontificating on if I should just cancel this thing because I've just been scammed and go to my credit card and ask them if they can reverse the charge. But I found another seller. And so I emailed him. I said, what's the status? And he gave me the same exact story that oh, it's all shut down, but they should be shipping in September. And so if you'd like to place your order now, you can. I thought, well, OK, so maybe that's really what's going on. So I don't cancel the original order. September goes by. I never get it. October comes. I get an update. It should be shipping any day now. October 15th comes. Uh, nothing. October 16th arrives and I get an email saying that the, the entire setup with all of its modems and its antennas and it's all this stuff is all going to arrive on the 20th. Oh, wow. And this whole thing, you know, is all based on LTE. None of it is 5G because 
I just I'm not investing in 5G right now. It's it's ridiculous. It's all going to be LTE for years. And what I hope is that people will move off the LTE network and move over to 5G. So everybody go buy your iPhone 12s and get off my LTE network. <laughs> just free it up for me. I want all the spectrum I can get. So I'm you know, I've got this industrial grade LTE kit now. That's coming. I've got to drill holes in my ceiling and all kinds of stuff. My God. I know it's going to be massive. But when I'm done, I should have the most reliable LTE connection humanly possible. (laughs) You know, you could do like a testing rig, you know, just like drive around the country. All right. Well, I'm locking the bandwidth here. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so it's got four SIM slots, but only two of the modems are active. So I'm going to have an AT&T and a Verizon and then a Google Fi and a Ting. (laughs) (laughs) That's my backups. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm serious about it. It is a it's a it's a massive issue for me because my entire job is online. Everything I do is online. The way I communicate with everybody in the team, everything is online. And so and then you have the kids with their schooling. And then my wife, any client she does have, most of them are virtual and those are video calls. She can she can switch over to LTE on her phone, but it'd be nice if the Wi-Fi was reliable. So, yeah, that's a thing. Sounds awesome. Should make working from home a little bit better. Although uh, maybe maybe if you're a Dropbox employee, you'll want some of these tips because it looks like Ooh. Dropbox is letting all employees work from home permanently um, with like kind of a WeWork style where some folks will come in during the we- we- uh, week and they'll work together and they'll have like a collab space where they can give each other the Rona and then they go back home and infect their families. I am relatively sure that the group email that announced this, that was not the pitch. (laughs) I feel like, you know, the head of engineering or whatever, the CEO was like, here's the plan, folks. You're going to work from home. Everybody's like, yay. Then once a month you come in, you get COVID, you spread it to all your family. Wait, what? It's like what we talked about, though. What they're trying to get to is the best of both worlds where you still get the in-person collaboration and sustain the company culture. Because I have witnessed that mm-hmm. working for clients in various capacities. I've noticed that all remote companies, they they front like they have a culture, but it doesn't actually exist. All the people behind the other ends of the screens are all kind of lonely and disgruntled. And I say this totally just on observation. It's not any kind of. I'm sorry, are you talking about me specifically now? No, I've noticed this with several companies I've I've worked with. And you, you quickly get in a situation where you have the, like the management layer is preaching to you what the culture is constantly. And they're constantly telling you what the culture is, but it's not real. Um, it's just, it's, it's a fancy blog post. Yeah. Um, where you actually come into an office space and you're working with multiple people and the, the, the kind of ideology and culture of the office is generally represented in the workspace. And you, you see that you, you get that human connection, that high bandwidth exchange and, you know, you get your feels out, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I think you then send people off and they go be productive for a few days from home. Sort of like one of our dark matter developers who got to work a couple of days at home and then come into the office. That's, I think, the perfect balance. I think it's very funny that you put this in the show notes. I am reopening our space in Plant City. Yeah, right. I thought I, I thought I heard you mention that, or I think you mentioned it to me on Slack, maybe. It, yeah, it's Slack. It is related to my magical Sousa thing I'm doing. Don't want to say much about it now, but yeah, instead of having a large space, this is exactly what we're doing. Right. Like, yeah, you know, kicking off projects. Uh, we have a lot of weird hardware integration work that came in. So that stuff you kind of have to do there, but not trying to really do this until the Rona's over, which God willing may, will be may never. Well, jeez. Listen, every time I listen to Unfilter, I cry a little bit. So let's just <laughs> let's just move right along. Uh, but hopefully it ends. And uh, yeah, this is the idea. Small spaces. You know, we operate in two states. So maybe one in New Jersey soon. Hmm. But yeah, it's uh, I don't even know what to say. I, It's weird. I love remote work for like heads down coding. Right. But when it's stuff like, oh, I have to UPS you this custom board back and forth. And oh, the kid at the UPS store like spilled his tea in it. Let's be honest. It wasn't the kid at the UPS store, but moving right along. It's kind of inefficient. So. Can I fry some bacon? Oh, you know it. I've always got a little right here. You want me to throw it on the old griddle? Uh, go ahead. So this is bacon from Japan, uh, courtesy, courtesy of uh, that rich guy who invested in WeWork, whose name just literally evacuated my brain. <laughs> I really don't remember anymore. It's Wagyu bacon. Wagyu bacon. I'm pretty sure this is going to bail WeWork out. 
Well, I think you'll have a lot of corporations just convert their offices into WeWork-like spaces, but then you'll have others that are looking to fill in gaps and whatnot in like areas. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, like if you want WeWork, but for adults, there's Regis, which I use. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm a little mixed on this whole concept because then you're taking a lease. Like to be clear, our space plan city is like a traditional lease. That's why I still have it. And you're not using it all the time. Doesn't that feel kind of wasteful, Chris, as like an entrepreneur? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's. I mean, the studio is. It makes the production of these shows so much more consistent and straightforward. But yet, I still look at that expense and go, "Hmm, could always just do it from home." But what I have right now is kind of a balance. Some days I work from home. The days I'm not on air, I might I might come to the studio. I might not. I kind of break it up depending on the project work that I'm doing, and I like having that flexibility. I basically have kind of cemented my idea that it's worth the business having the space. But when times are tough, you look at it and you go, gosh, you know, I could I could make that back because it's not just the rent. It's the services and the utilities you have running here, too, and maybe insurance. And, yep. you know, it ends up it ends up being a pretty decent expense. Yeah, let's see. Let's see how long I last <laughs> doing this. Although the peace and quiet, especially for recording, has to be. Just, yeah. Well, except for sometimes I have airplanes going overhead, so you never know. It's never. Sometimes I'm in Florida and there's like lightning everywhere, so. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good mix, though. I think maybe, wouldn't that be interesting if we had a bunch of companies that didn't land on everybody works from home, but what they land on, and I think what we're kind of seeing happen, is a lot more uh, flexibility. Because now the infrastructure has been put in place, the tooling has been put in place, except for the companies that really screwed it up. They're going to be in a position now where they could... Where they could do that. Plus, he thinks like, wouldn't it save them money? Having people not in the office saves money. It makes it harder to watch what they're doing every single day. But there's tools to compensate for that. Well, I think you need less space, right? Isn't that kind of the... Um, yeah, and we, less power, less snacks, less things in the uh, fridge, you know? Like, seriously. The only downside is I have seen some companies that are getting a little... Um, Snoopy, like they want to up the surveillance software that runs on your company machine so they have Ugh. more confidence that you're being productive during the day. I don't think that's a good trend. I don't like that. And um, there is a company out there that's shopping to tech podcasters right now about uh, selling a service that helps you monitor your employees that are working from home. Do their checks clear? I mean, oh, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let me now. Let me tell you about now. Actually, you know what? Let me thank uh, the Coder QA folks. Uh, if you'd like to be a member, uh, Coder QA helps us stay independent. Helps us be choosy about the sponsors. CoderQA.co. Uh, the first Coderly report is out as well for our members. You can get that in the feed or as an individual download. You support the show and you also get a limited ad feed of the show, plus that Coder Quarterly report. CoderQA. Co. That's coderqa.co to sign up and support the show. Why not uh, Why not buy your buddies here at Coder Radio a holiday gift? That revenue goes towards paying for editing, producing, all of that. That is a, it's, it's a business cost, and we'd like to make it sustainable so that way we have a varying load of sponsors from time to time. But the basics of the show are still covered at coderqa.co. And thanks to everybody who does support the show over there. Now, Mike, last week we teased about this a little bit, but I think we got a few more minutes. We could get this in. Uh, and you recently had an adventure in Vimland, and I also had a new editor that I've been trying out that I wanted to mention. But w what's going on? What's going on with you and Vim? So be because I am picky and the fonts were not rendering at what I perceived as the right size in Gnome 3, thank you, Gnome, um, I decided to try out Vim again. I then, like all Vim users, spent way too long configuring my Vim IRC. <laughs> yes, you got to get the colors just right. I have been doing this for two weeks. I think this is going to be my last week. So this is a very brief segment. Okay. Here's the good. On Linux, nothing renders better than the terminal. Mm. Visually, it's beautiful. It's a great flex. You know, it looks nice. Um, I probably will actually turn on Vim key bindings in, in RubyMine and PyCharm now. But... Damn, is it a pain in the butt. For instance, I had to open my Mac and I'm like, ah, let me just, you know, pull down my VimRC, which is in a gist. Well, for some reason that I don't understand, it simply does not work on Mac terminal. There's the plugins are not installing right. And it's very annoying. I really wanted to love this. I do not. So how's your editor? <laughs> That's not what I expected. <laughs> 
I was all sitting here. Oh my god. I was expecting this whole love letter. Okay, alright. Well, let me introduce you to something simpler. It's called Micro, a modern and intuitive terminal-based text editor that's simple, lightweight, has easy-to-use features, compatibility with key bindings from Vim or Nano, highly customizable if you want to go down that route, even a plugin system if you want, supports 75 languages, seven default color schemes to choose from, it supports true color schemes as well, and of course, syntax color schemes are very simple to make if you want to make your own, and if you want an editor on the console that can also do the multi-pane thing, where you can have side panes and two panes and all the quad panes, it'll do all of that. I'm not talking about the West panes, I'm talking about the view panes. And um, it, uh, what did I say, mouse support? Has mouse support, so... You know, if that's your thing, too, on the terminal, it has that. Now you're just rubbing it in. It's like a nano alternative that's a little more powerful. It was recommended to me on Linux Unplugged by a listener, and uh, I installed it, and I love it. I mean, I still love my nano. You know, it's I kind of joke a little bit, but I'm... I'm serious, too, in that um, I want I want easy and... Wait, hang on. You actually like nano? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I can use Vim. I taught myself Vim because it's on literally every system, and that that was a concept that actually mattered back in the day when you had to install everything with RPMs like an animal. But today, it's so easy to install software, and most systems ship with multiple editors installed. I think it's a little bit of dogma that maybe is more myth than it is truth, and everything is has Nano. It's easy to get Nano or Pico on just about anything, and it's such a nice, simple... Everything is there. All the commands are at the bottom. It's just uh, no surprises, no complexity. I'm into the file. I'm out of the file. There's just a simplicity and quickness to it that I really appreciate. And if I'm looking for something that's more advanced, like I'm I'm editing the sudoers file, I might use Vim or Visudo. But I, if I'm just editing my Samba config or something like you know a basic file on my file system, I just use Nano. If I'm not using VS Code to begin with, I'll just use Nano. In, out, easy, quick, simple keybinds. And now I've started using micro more and more. And I get that I'm not elite, and I feel bad that, you know, I'm not elite when I say that, and that I'm not, you know, cool hacker bro, but I just don't care. I, I just like the simplicity of it. That's my confession to you. And uh, I leave myself open to your judgment. I bet it works great on Azusa. <laughs> oh, 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 all right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll put a link to Micro in the show notes if anybody's interested. Go check out Mike on Twitter so that way you're first to know when something is spilled on a machine or how the lizard adventures are going. He's at Dumanoku on Twitter. I'm at Chris Lask. Anything else you want to mention, Mr. Dominic, before we get out of here? Uh, no. Uh, get ready for more Susa news. I think I'm going to have a drink before the next episode. <laughs> we also would love your feedback, especially from you Dark Matter developers and anybody else that wants to get a thought into the show. That's coder.show slash contact. Links for the things we talked about today, coder.show slash 384. It's really simple. And I encourage you to subscribe to the show. That's coder.show slash subscribe. You get the RSS feed or just get the Jupiter Broadcasting All Shows feed. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Coder Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>